Welcome to the sermon podcast for Restoration Nazarene Church, where we encourage you to be the gospel today so that you can share the gospel tomorrow. It's really good to see all of you again here. I feel like the last few weeks, everybody went on vacation, which was, which was nice. That buzz is the tracks if you want to mute them. I'm curious, have you ever had those moments where you've done something that you knew you shouldn't do? It was like you, you almost had no choice to do that thing that you knew that you shouldn't do, but yet you still did it. Maybe you overreacted to someone in some way. You were, you were too mean or you were too rude or, or maybe you were like me and you yelled at the kids when you knew you shouldn't have. At, at the beginning of this, um, this, this Christmas season after Thanksgiving, I had the girls helping me with Christmas lights. So Chris, the Thanksgiving's over and, and against all of Wayne's instructions to me, most of our Christmas stuff is in the attic. He gets after me all the time about not having stuff in the attic, but I have Christmas decorations in the attic, but to get to them, you have to get this long, tall ladder. And so I had to get the ladder out and climb up there. Now it's a far distance to get from the attic hole down to the bottom. So I enlisted help of our two older girls. And so the girls were coming to help. Now I'm up in the attic and I'm getting all of these rather heavy boxes. And in order to reach it to them, the girls have to climb up at least to the first or the second step to receive whatever it is that I am handing down. And all of that was fine. Except this week, this Thanksgiving week, the girls had been out of school, which meant that they were always at odds with each other, fighting and arguing. Now, I was already irritated after a week-long battle of getting them to stop arguing. And so now here I am, practically hanging out of the attic hole in order to hand them the heavy boxes. Now, now these are heavy. And so I'm hanging out, which is, I could die in this moment. Uh, Probably not, but that's what my wife keeps saying. So I'm hanging out of this hole, trying to hand them these heavy boxes. And now I'm starting to shake. It's hot. So I'm sweating up there. And then the girls are just standing there arguing over whose turn it is to take whatever it is that I'm handing to them. Now I'm already irritated, which meant that I'm even more irritated. And I keep saying, girls, just take it. I don't care whose turn it is. Just somebody take it before I fall out. Please take it. And then I lose it. And then I start yelling at them to take it. And at that point, I've lost it. And now I'm yelling the entire time that we are taking out all of the Christmas decorations, which of course ends, this is my confession, it ends with the girls literally in tears at their yelling father who is screaming at them to take down all of these Christmas decorations. Luckily, the girls, they're really kind. And so when I apologized later, they forgave me for it. But it was one of those times where even as I was shouting, I knew I shouldn't be but I couldn't stop. I knew I should not be yelling. I knew that they got the point. They could hear me clearly, but yet I couldn't stop shouting. I knew what I should not be doing, but yet I couldn't actually do it. And my question this morning is, why do we go through that? Anybody ever have any time where you have done something and in the moment you knew that you should not be doing it, but yet you cannot stop yourself from doing it? I wonder why do we do that? 
Why does that happen? Why do we go through those times where we do the things we know we shouldn't do? Or even, why do we not do the things that we know we should do? It's a common thing that we go through and we're actually not alone. The apostle Paul seems to struggle with this exact same thing. Romans chapter seven, Paul writes this starting in verse 15. This is Paul writing. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing." Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, that's really confusing of of I do the things that I don't want to do. It was a lot of do's and don'ts here. But Paul is stating that, that there are times where he does things that he knows he shouldn't do, but yet he finds himself compelled or drawn or, or almost having no choice to do those things. And sometimes I read this passage and it's really reassuring to me. Sometimes I reflect back on the times where I've yelled when I shouldn't have yelled and I say, wow, if Paul struggled with it, I can give myself a break. Sometimes it's really reassuring to me, but then other times... I read the same passage and then I reflect on what Paul is actually saying here. And now Paul, he is a leader in the church. And from my perspective, Paul is this holy man of God. He is this great instrument that God uses to expand the church. In, in this time frame, right after Jesus dies, the church did not exist. They were still Jews that were following what they call the way that is the way of Jesus. And they were still they were still here. And it is because of Paul and other leaders that began to spread this and began to create what we now know today as the church that came from Paul. And so I'm reading this and I'm saying, wow, this great man of God, he still cannot do this. He still struggles with this sin. And so then I, I'm no longer reassured because now I'm a bit worried. If this guy struggles with it, what chance do I ever have? And then I compare this writing to what it says in 1 John 3, 9 through 10, it says, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Those born of God, according to 1 John, those that are born of God, those that are, are Christians that follow Jesus, they will not sin. But then you have Paul here who says, I, I can't stop myself from doing the things that I don't want to do. So does that mean that Paul is not a man of God? Does that mean that Paul is no longer a child of God? And if so, where does that leave us? 
because we all have temptations. We all have moments where we respond in the ways that we don't mean to. We all have moments of weakness. Earlier in 1 John from chapter 1 in verses 8 and 9, it says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us, meaning that we cannot deny the fact that we sin. So then the question is, where does that leave us? Because if we sin, then, then we apparently are not of God because God being part of God or being a child of God means that we no longer sin. But at the same time, we are not without sin. None of us in here is without sin. We cannot claim to be without sin because that would be a lie. So then where does that leave us? The answer Paul uses, he says, we are slaves. That is the answer that Paul gives us. Romans 6, 16 through 23. Paul's writing, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Paul calls us slaves. He, he, he says that everybody is a slave. We are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness. Now, when we hear with our modern ears, our modern eyes, when we hear slaves, many of us think back to American slavery that happened within the first hundred years or so, a couple hundred years of American history. We think of black versus white. We think of how, how black people, specifically African Americans, were originally considered three-fifths of a person. Maybe we think about the Civil War. Or maybe we think about modern day slavery, which is human trafficking. Maybe we think about these things with our modern idea because this idea of slavery, this is strong language to be slaves, to be enslaved to something. This is strong language that brings emotions to various people regardless of our time. We have strong connections to it. And Paul uses this language because it is strong language to the Jews. 
The Jewish culture was very big on family and ancestors. They would tell and retell and retell stories to all future generations so much that all of the new generations, they felt like it was their own story that it happened to them. And every year the Jews would celebrate the Passover festival, which was the retelling of when the Jews were slaves in Egypt and how God set them free through Moses. And even though they themselves, this new generation of Jews, even though they themselves were not slaves, it was still in their DNA, in their minds so much that they felt like they knew what it meant to be a slave. And yet Paul uses this language to the Jews that they are our slaves. And this would have brought about a strong emotion. They would have immediately said, Paul, you're crazy. We are not slaves. We have been set free. How can you call us slaves? And Paul says that, that you are either slaves to sin or you are slaves to righteousness. Slavery would, would either be a bad thing or somehow Paul is now trying to tell us that slavery could potentially be a good thing in righteousness. How many of you have ever seen the Matrix movies? Yeah, some of you have seen them. Yep. Yeah. now I don't condone them as being good Christian films. So don't hear that from me today that I'm stating that, that I, I'm all for these and you do not have my stamp of, of approval to watch these movies. However, I know that many of us are familiar with them. They, they came out over 20 years ago, which makes me feel a little old. 20 years ago, the first three came out and then the newest one came out a couple years ago. And, and they, they, again, I don't condone them. However, they have a rather interesting if not scary storyline. The premise of the entire movie, all four of them, is that these aliens came to earth and enslaved all of humanity by hooking up their minds to these machines that would create this virtual reality world. And so all of these humans, they lived inside of this virtual reality world and they had no idea that they were slaves because this virtual reality world was so real to them. It was like the world, the life that they knew. But there was this group of people that knew the truth that weren't in the system and they stand up to fight against the aliens. And so they live in the real world, which is now completely destroyed by all of these aliens and these, these, this group of people that are fighting them, they're able to enter into this virtual reality with the knowledge that it's not real. And then they can do all of these crazy things. And, and this group of people, they go and they find new recruits to reveal to them the truth that everything that they have ever known is not real. And now you, you, I mean, imagine if somebody walked in here and said, hey, everything you can feel, you can touch, you can see, everything you have known is a complete lie. Now, just in case some of you are not familiar with it, I, I've put together a few, I took a few of the scenes and I, I put them together just so you can see what this looks like. The first scene that you will see will be the leader of this extra group. He's got the sunglasses on, you'll, you'll know it. And he is trying to explain to this potential new recruit that everything around him looks real, but yet it's not. And then it changes to a scene where this, this main character who is, who is starting to wake up and realize, I, I fast forwarded this movie to the point where he wakes up in the real world. And I'll tell you, it's a little gross. So 
if you have a weak stomach, just close your eyes for a second. And then it transitions rather quickly to this new part where they, they go back into this virtual reality and they can do some rather crazy things. Go ahead and play the film. The Matrix is a system, Neo. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. the jump program. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. One of the benefits of this projector and this light is it wasn't as gross as you could see, but it also meant you couldn't see everything. So this is the movie. And again, I don't fully condone them. You do not have my stamp of approval. However, it does a great job to depict the state of humanity that Paul is talking about here in Scripture. Humans, I'm talking about real humans here, we are born as slaves to sin, and they don't even know that they are slaves. People don't even know that there is anything wrong. People continue living this life enslaved to sin, doing what sin wants them to do, which is masked by the phrase, you've all heard this, do what makes you happy. That is sin speaking there that we live and we have no idea that we are doing these things. We, we have no idea of what it is to, to follow the, the truth of God versus this slavery into sin. And so most people think they have an idea of what it means to be happy. Most people think they have an idea of what makes them feel good. And so they do those things. However, those ideas of happiness or of what feels good are often lies created by the master of sin to keep us all under control. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I am not saying that happiness is bad. I am not saying that, that we should not do things that make us happy. What I am saying is that we live in a world that lies about what happiness really is. The world is quick to tie happiness to money, success, and power. But we know that that isn't the case because oftentimes the more money we have means the more things we buy. So now the more bills we have to pay, which leads to more stress. And so even though we get that little pay raise, even though we feel like we have a little bit more money, we then spend it or change the way that we live so we don't actually have more money. And what we find is that we just crave more money. And so we think that more money gives us more happiness. And so we do what we can to get more money 
money, but then we crave more money and then more money and then more money, never actually achieving happiness. Can you see how this works, this enslavery to sin? Or the world will tell us that success is what makes us more happy, that the more successful you are, the more happy you will be. But in order to be successful, it means that, that, that you have to make sacrifices in order to get there. How often do CEOs sacrifice their families in order to achieve success? Or the evil part of the world will tell you that, that to get to be happy means you must strive for more power. This is what kings and nations and gangs all fight over is more power because the more power you have, the more happy you are because now nothing can fight against you. However, in reality, the more power you have, the more enemies you have. So you can't actually live in happiness because there is always fear of losing it. And so we live in this culture that has convinced us of false happiness in a way that motivates us to live our lives in pursuit of this false happiness. We are hamsters on a wheel that can never achieve what it is that we think is true happiness. In, in the Matrix movie, there's a character that, that is described as this promised savior. You saw him in the film, this Neo character that, that is, is prophesied to be able to the one that is going to save everything. But at the beginning of this movie, this character lives as a slave to this virtual world. Everything he knows is fake, but he doesn't realize it. He has been living his entire life until eventually things start to seem a little off to him. Things don't really add up, but he doesn't really know what it is. In the same way, most people in the world today are living life trying to be like everyone else and try to achieve happiness, but everybody knows that something is not right. Everybody you ever talk to will tell you that there is something else needed for them to achieve happiness and they can feel deep down that something isn't right, something is wrong. If that wasn't the case, then infomercials that say, is your life like this? Would you like a life like this? Buy this product. Those wouldn't work. But yet humans who are enslaved, we know deep down something is wrong and there is something better out there. We talked about this last week, that, that the truth of God is knowable by everyone. The absolute truth of God's existence is known by everyone. Everyone is without excuse. Every single person knows the existence of God. However, some people suppress that truth. They avoid it. And in the same way, most people in the world today are living in this way. They suppress the truth. And when we stop to think about it, we can quickly see that the world continues to sell us all of these false lies of happiness. And now we have this choice to either accept it or not to. We can either accept the lie and forget about everything, or we can live into the lie or against the lie and actually seek the truth. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says that we are slaves to sin and we all know it. However, some people don't accept it. They don't accept that we are actually slaves. They suppress it. We are slaves to sin and we do what sin wants us to do. 
The truth is that there is a spiritual battle that is going on within each and every one of us. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is this invisible war that is going on that we cannot see, but yet this war affects us all. And there is this power of sin that is battling for control over us. And the more we live, as slaves to sin, the more control it has over us. And this power is what causes us to do the things that we don't want to do. And so then the question is, what do we do about it? How are we set free from this power of sin? Paul answered that question. And what we read earlier, verses 17 and 18 of Romans chapter six, Paul says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The truth is that we don't have to remain as slaves to sin because God has set us free. When we accept that salvation from God, when we obey from our hearts the pattern of teaching that has claimed our allegiance, says Paul, then we are set free. Jesus died on the cross for us to be set free. And we can be set free like slaves from the power of sin. And when that happens, when we are set free from the power of sin, we then enter into this new slavery of righteousness, which means that we begin to do the will of God. We begin to act as people of righteousness. This slavery, unlike slavery to sin, but slavery to God, slavery to righteousness, is found through submission which often sounds so contrary to what you would think you would do, it is found through submission. It is found through following the will of God. The difference is that this slavery is a good thing. In the Matrix movie, this main character, he knows that something is wrong, but he can't quite see the truth of what is wrong until this group comes to him and offers him a pill. He, this, the, the, the character, the leader of this other group, he holds out his hand and he has two pills. There's a, a red pill and a blue pill. And this character gets to choose. If he chooses the blue pill, then he gets to continue living life as if and nothing had ever happened. He continues living into this, this slavery to sin. He will suppress the truth and just go on living like he never knew any different. But if he takes the red pill, then he is freed from this virtual reality and he wakes up in the real world. We saw him waking up and this was possible. This this character had this ability to wake up because the choice was presented to him. We are given a choice to either continue being enslaved to sin and just forget about it, suppress the truth, or we can be set free and live in righteousness. When we are slaves to sin, then we are almost powerless to its effect. In fact, without the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, we would be completely powerless 
to it. But it's because of Jesus' sacrifice. It was through the atonement on the cross that we can actually be set free. However, again, when we are set free from slaves of sin, we become slaves to righteousness. And I believe that Paul uses this language, again, because of our own human limitations, he says, but also to, to inform us that the war isn't over. We aren't just set free from slaves and then now we're done. The war is not over. Paul was no longer a slave to sin, but yet he can write and tell us that he still had struggles against the power of sin. Because the truth is we won't experience true and complete freedom until heaven. While we are even slaves to righteousness, the war will continue. This war continues battle by battle. The difference is that when we accept the truth, we now know that the battle is even being fought. At one time, we had no idea. We just surrendered as slaves like there was nothing ever wrong. But now as we wake up to the truth, we see that there is something wrong. We now know that there is a war going on. We now know whose side we are on. We know which army we are fighting alongside. And so the question this morning that I want to ask, as we recognize the fact that we, at one time, everybody lives as slaves to sin where they are powerless to it. But then because of Jesus, when we accept the truth and we live into it and we obey the teachings of God, we become slaves to righteousness. But the war is not over. The battle still wages on. We still must fight the power of sin in our lives. Sin is still possible. We're not completely set free yet. The question then is, what do we do about it? How do we fight those things? The first thing that we must do is we must accept the reality of this war. As we are slaves to sin, we must accept that there really is a war going on. We must accept the truth of Christ. We must accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us to be freed. And second, once we accept that truth, once we live into that, once we believe and confess and, and fully submit to God and we become slaves to righteousness, the second thing that we do is we step into this truth and we continue to fight. We continue to fight against the power of sin in our lives. Sometimes it's easy for us to win. Sometimes we're alone and we have those temptations of whatever it is that you're being tempted by. Sometimes it's easy to say, nope, get out of here. I'm moving forward. Not, I'm not going to be bothered. But other times it's a bit harder. Other times you're like, well, nobody would know. I can do this thing, fill in the blank, whatever that is. And you know that you shouldn't do it. There is this battle that happens, this temptation that occurs. We now must fight against it. And the way that we fight it is twofold. It's first through surrender to Jesus. And second, Paul tells us that it's through prayer. We fight this spiritual battle, not with worldly weapons, but rather with our spiritual weapon of prayer. Prayer is our weapon to this invisible battle that is going on. Prayer is the way that Paul says we, we hold the sword of the Spirit. Prayer is the way that we hold the shield of faith. 
Once we are set free from slavery to sin, we then join the army of the Lord. We are now enslaved to righteousness, which is a good thing. And we continue to fight this war as soldiers. And if we do lose a battle, which may happen from time to time, again, we can't deny that it has happened to us. That would be telling a lie. So as we are fighting these battles, if we lose a battle, we remember the war is not over. And in that moment, we surrender to God through prayer and confession. And then we return back to the war, fighting even harder than before. But there's a third thing that we must do as well. After we are set free from this lies of, of this slavery and we join the army of Christ, and as we are fighting this spiritual battle, there is a third thing we must do. In the Matrix movies, this, the, the main character was only able to make that choice of accepting the truth because someone presented it to him. Because somebody came to him and said, hey, this life you are living is wrong. Let me reveal the truth to you and let you know that you have a choice to make. And in the real world, God chooses us to be his agents. He chooses us to be the people that share the message. He chooses us to go into the world revealing the kingdom of heaven. He chooses us to live in this world, but not of this world. He chooses us to use the matrix metaphor to enter into this virtual reality, living in it. But we are not people of the virtual reality. We instead are fighting against it. We reveal the truth of God, the truth of Christ to all people. We live a life that is drastically different than the lies of the culture. And honestly, most of the time, people are going to think we are crazy. They, they are going to say things, again, going back to this matrix metaphor, they're going to say things like, like, you can't tell me that this life, everything that I know is wrong. I can see it. I can feel it. I can touch it. Instead, and this is an argument that's been used against me many times before, is they will say, you know what? I can prove the existence of the world. Can you prove the existence of God, this invisible being of God? Because I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. And then I, I do my best to go back and forth with these people, but eventually they just think I'm crazy, that I put my faith in something that I cannot see. And I'm, I'm brought back to this movie of, of how crazy they would have thought of, what are you telling me that this place isn't real? And what was it that got this, this individual, this, this character in the movie, what was it that got him to realize that things were different? It's because he saw how the other people were living. He saw that these other people could do things that defied all physics in real life. He saw that this guy jumped that building. There are other scenes where they move so fast that you can't even see what is going on. And they see these things and they know in that moment that that must mean that there is another truth. And in the same way, we begin to show people the truth of the kingdom of heaven by living like citizens of heaven. Once we are set free from sin and we are now owned by God, we live life differently. And then we display true love to the world, which is the opposite of sin. Nine times out of ten, ten, sin is something that causes harm to someone else. It is the opposite of loving God or loving neighbor. 
We could talk about definitions and go through examples all the time, but nine times out of 10, sin is as simple as that. It is doing the opposite of loving God or loving neighbor. So when you're in this moment of, is this choice going to be considered a sin? Ask yourself, am I no longer loving God or no longer loving neighbor? And if that is true, then most likely it is a sin for you in that moment. And so we, as citizens of heaven that live in this world, but not of the world, we live our life opposite to sin, meaning that we do crazy things that Jesus tells us to do, meaning that we love our enemies. That's crazy. It means that we pray for other people. It means that we are caring and kind to those who don't deserve it. It means that we offer forgiveness when people have harmed us. It means that we act the opposite of the way that sin wants us to act. It means that we follow the will of God rather than leaning on our own understanding. It means that we turn to prayer, which has to seem absolutely crazy to people that don't know the truth. To think of us getting down on our knees and praying to this invisible God out there, it must seem absolutely crazy to the rest of the world until they begin to see the truth and they begin to experience and know the power that prayer actually has. This is what it means to live in the world, but not of the world. Again, what must we do? We must wake up and realize that there is a war going on. We must hold on to hope, hold on to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and King, and that even the waves and the winds obey to who Jesus is. Even the demons shudder at the mention of his name. There is a power in our Savior, our Messiah. There is a power in Jesus Christ, and we get to wield that power. We get to carry Carry that power with us as we go into this war, as we fight these battles together as a united body of Christ, as a united army of Christ. And so what do we do? Individually, we must realize that there are battles going on for control of our lives. We must realize that there are battles and we fight these battles with prayer. We fight these battles with accountability to one another by confessing our sins. We begin to fight these battles by following the will of God, which helps us know what is right and wrong. We all have a conscience. We all feel guilt when we do something wrong. We know what is right and what is wrong because God reveals it to us. And together, we join together with all churches united together to fight the war. And we're not just carrying burdens of other people, but we're helping others realize that there is a war going on. And so together, we not only fight this war, but we also go out together as God's agents, revealing the truth of the kingdom of heaven. But The only way for us to do that effectively is if we individually, ourselves, are living godly lives. I had a conversation this week with somebody that that made this statement that Christianity cannot be true because Christians are mean. And I couldn't argue that, honestly. I mean, I offered my rebuttal to this person, this, this individual and I, we have a lot of fun going back and forth arguing, but they were right. 
It is hard for us to state that the Bible is true. It is hard for us to state that Jesus Christ is real, that that he has been crucified, but he resurrected from the, the grave and that he is experienced here with us. It is hard to prove the existence of the Holy Spirit if we are not living this way. If the world looks at Christianity and saying, if that's what it means to follow Christ, I don't want anything to do with it. That is hard. That tells me that there are many people out there who know the truth, but choose to suppress it and give over to the the power that sin can have over you. They have surrendered to sin and they are continually living enslaved to sin. And so the only way to effectively tell people what the truth is to reveal the kingdom of heaven is by acting like Jesus, is by living a godly life. And so my question this morning as we close out is are you living a godly life? Are you living a life that is free from the power of sin? Are you living a life that can demonstrate how to fight the battle and overcome Are you living a life where somebody can look at you and say, wow, I think my entire reality of what I know is wrong because there is something different about you that is causing doubt in my mind that I might actually be wrong and you might be right. That is, Jesus is right. Are you living that way or are you falling in that category of the other Christians that are doing more harm than Our next step is to live into holiness, is to be holy for God is holy, to live as holiness people, as God's agents in the world. Pray with me as we surrender. Father, we surrender to you. We surrender to your power. We ask in this moment that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the ways that we have lost the battle to sin. For the ways that we have done the things that we shouldn't have done. Or for avoiding doing the things that we should do. Father, in this moment, bring up the ways that we have sinned against you. Ways that we have sinned against our brothers and sisters. Father, bring those to our minds. And I ask that you would forgive us of these things that you've brought forth. Give us the courage to live as your people. Father, we surrender to you. And we ask that you would trust us to use us as your agents in the world. Father, we do this for you. We desire to follow your will, not our own, but yours. Jesus, we love you. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love to continue the conversation and connect with you. Comment, like, subscribe, follow us on the socials at rnaschurch or our website, rnaz.church.